your Bibles and turn to John chapter 8 as you're finding your place. John chapter 8, please. Our text verses this morning are going to be verses 12 through 20 of John chapter 8, and we welcome you for joining us in the live stream today. Thank you for joining us, and we pray that God's word will be a blessing to you as well as all who are here today, and, and let the word of God speak. Let the Lord have his way in your life today, and let's seek to exalt Jesus Christ here. Amen. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 12, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself, thy record is not true. Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. For I know whence I came, and whither I go. But ye cannot tell whence I came, and whither I go. Ye judge after the flesh. I judge no man, and yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am the Father that sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that bears witness of myself, and the Father uh, that sent me beareth witness of me. Then said they unto him, Where is thy father? Jesus answered, Ye neither know me nor my father. If ye had known me, ye should have known my father also. These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. I want to draw your attention mainly to verse 12 this morning, and we'll consider briefly the other verses as we work our way through the message this morning. But the title of the message this morning is Jesus, the Light of the World. In verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Seven times in the Gospel of John, Jesus makes this I am statement. And we've covered one of them already. Here's the second one, and we'll see them as we work through the Gospel of John. This I am statement uh, is, is something that is, is really powerful. It harkens all the way back to when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush. You heard a little bit about that this morning in the Sunday school hour but when Moses saw the flames of fire, Moses wanted to get a closer look. He saw that the bush was not consumed. And so Moses comes closer to the bush. And the Bible tells us that God told him to remove his sandals because God's presence had made that ground holy. After Moses had a conversation with God and God informed him that he would lead God's people out of Egypt... Moses wanted to know what he should say when the people ask of God's name. God's answer was in Exodus 3 and verse 14. God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me to you. I am is what Jesus said in verse 12. I am the light of the world. I am is God's covenantal name. That title was so sacred 
that it was only uttered by the high priest and then only once a year on the Day of Atonement. It literally means, I am who I am. And it signals this truth, that nothing else defines who God is but God himself. You and I don't get to define who God is. We don't get to define who Jesus Christ is. God himself is the one who defines who he is. Every time that Jesus uses this I am statement, he is emphatically stating that he is Jehovah God. That is a staggering statement of his sovereign supremacy. Back in the Old Testament in Moses' day as the burn bush, the, excuse me, the bush burned brightly and cast light all around, so too Jesus is the light of the world. He's also a consuming fire that should stop us in our tracks because we're on holy ground when we come into the presence of Jesus Christ. When Jesus uses the phrase, I am, he does so on purpose. And he does so on purpose in our text. And those who heard him say it, they did not miss the obvious connection that he was making. Of course, they understood what he was claiming. That riled up the Pharisees. They hated Jesus already, but it's getting worse. And we find that they interrupt Jesus ten times in John 8 alone. And we'll look at all of those as we go through. But the Pharisees take offense at his outrageous claim, at least in their mind. And they ask Jesus a really pointed question when you get to the end of the chapter. I want you to look at verse 53. Here's the question they asked Jesus. They said, Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets are dead? Who makest thou thyself? Here's the really important question. Who do you think you are? Well, Jesus pushes them further than they were intending to go, because look what Jesus says in verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he, and he saw it and was glad. Now, they didn't know how to respond to that statement, and so they kind of resort to sarcasm and ridicule. Look at verse 57. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Ha, ha, ha. It's like they're kind of probably chuckling to themselves at the absurdity of his statement. But then they're completely blown away at what Jesus says next. Look at verse 58. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Well, that was it. That was, they're done after that, because verse 59 tells us that they pick up stones and they want to kill him, but Jesus slips away from them. Now, I read that for you because it captures a bit of the scene that's playing out before us here and the heart motives of the Pharisees. You can see the tensions are building in their interactions with Jesus, and all of this is leading to the cross. Less than six months from this point in time, they're going to crucify Jesus. But now I want you to look back in verse 12 again, because there's another introductory thought that I want you to notice here. Verse 12, again, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Now, Jesus is not saying that he's holding the light. He's not saying that he has the light or that he's the way to the light. He is unequivocally stating that he is the light. I am the light of the world. 
He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. But what is he going to have? He's going to have the light of life. Now, what does it mean when Jesus says, I am the light of the world? Well, it might be helpful for us to first understand some properties of light. What does light do? First of all, light reveals. Light enables us to see things that were there all along, but because of the darkness, we could not see them. Darkness always conceals. Light reveals. Without light, we can't see anything. It was C.S. Lewis who said, I believe in Christ like I believe in the sun. Not only because I see it, but because by it, all things are seen. Amen? By Jesus Christ, all things are, are revealed, are, all things are seen. Ephesians 5.13 says, But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. It reveals. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Just as a side note, I think sometimes this is part of the reason why some people avoid coming to church. They really don't want Christ to shine His light on the way that they've been living because it reveals too much. Light reveals. Secondly, another property of light is that light gives life. Light gives life. Light is necessary for life itself. Light sets our biological clocks. Light triggers something in our brains that enables us to see color. Light supplies the energy for things to grow. I was telling the men in, in men's prayer meeting this morning that as I was studying through this passage, even, even considering this thought that light is something that gives life, I came across this article that was stating, uh, that, uh, talking about what's called seasonal affective disorder. Have you ever heard of seasonal affective disorder or SAD for short? And I've, I, I found it interesting because the article stated that 10% of Alaskans suffer from SAD, seasonal affective disorder. Wintertime is a tough time because the sun often disappears and depression begins to set in. And 10% of Alaskans suffer from SAD. And so they use happy lamps instead to help bring about some happiness, and they, they lack vitamin D because of the sun. I also thought it was funny because the article said that only 1% of Floridians suffer from SAD because of the mass amounts of sun that they have. And I'm thinking, I need to go to Florida. Oh, wait, I am. Light gives life. John 1.4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. While some people in, Mo in, in Alaska struggle with seasonal affective disorder, here's the truth of the matter, friend. We all have a sin affective disorder. And it's sad. Amen? But we can be happy or we can be glad because the light of Jesus Christ is what gives us new life. A third property of light is that light scatters darkness. In Scripture, darkness is often a metaphor for sin, spiritual blindness, and even death. In John 1 and verse 5, the Bible says, The light that shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. 
You can read over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 4, it says, The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, should shine in unto them. Light scatters darkness. Light gives life. Light reveals we would never know our own true condition without the light of Jesus Christ. Light provides guidance. It's difficult to walk in the dark, especially in a place that you've never been. Light helps us see where we're headed. Psalm 43.3 says, Oh, send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me. These are some properties of light. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, it's helpful for us to understand exactly what he is and what he's saying, what he's doing. Now, I want you to consider light in Scripture. Look at how light is portrayed in the Scriptures. Because those who heard Jesus make this statement that I am the light of the world, they might have had some passages running through their mind as he's making this statement. In Genesis 1 and verse 3, God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. The Bible tells us that the very first thing that God created was light. In order to dispel darkness. After God appeared to Moses at the burning bush and revealed his name as the I am, God did an amazing thing. He turned the lights out on the Egyptians, literally. In Exodus 10, Exodus chapter 10 and verse 21, the Lord said unto Moses, stretch out thine hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt and Moses did, as God said, there was darkness for three days. Verse 23 says, They saw not another, neither rose any man from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. After this, God promised to lead his people for 40 years in the wilderness by a pillar of fire that gave them light. They never had to be afraid of the dark because of the Shekinah fire of God's holy presence was always with them. Exodus 13, 21 says, The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them by the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. See, the Pharisees understood, and we'll get to the context here, and this will all make sense in a second. The Pharisees understood <coughs> Excuse me. that Jesus was equating himself with that pillar of fire in the wilderness. They understood that, which they also understood that pillar of fire in the wilderness to be God himself. They knew this connection was being made. And I'll verify that for you in the scriptures in just a minute. God himself is referred to as light in the Bible. 1 John 1 and verse 5, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. When Jesus declared himself to be the light of the world, he is declaring his deity. God's first act was to create light, but the Bible tells us that his final work of redemption will culminate in light. Revelation 21 and verse 23 says, The city had no need of the sun, 
neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Verse 25 says, There shall be no night there. They need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Jesus Christ, the Lamb, is the light thereof. The Lord God gives the light. They are one in the same. Now, I said all of that because I want you to understand the context in which Jesus makes this claim that I am the light of the world. Light in the Gospel of John is a common theme. 24 times it's used in the Gospel of John. Right away in John chapter 1 and verse 9, the Bible tells us, That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Now, because it was a prominent theme and because of the context here, you need to understand a couple of other things. If you remember, in John 7, it's the Feast of the Tabernacles. And we'll talk about that again in just a minute here. But I want to go back even further. A few weeks ago, when we were in John chapter 6, what we learned there was that Jesus declared himself to be the bread of life. When Jesus declared himself to be the bread of life, the people remembered the manna in the wilderness that God supplied for them for 40 years. In John chapter 7, when Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacles, part of that celebration, if you'll remember, involved the pouring of water on the altar or around the altar. The priest would take water from the pool of Siloam. There would be a processional, and they would come to the altar. The priest would pour the water on the altar, and as the water went to the ground, it commemorated the water that came out of the rock in Numbers chapter 17 for the nation of Israel. All right? While the people are watching this processional and the water splashing on the stones in the temple, it was then in that context that Jesus stood up in John chapter 7 and he cried with a loud voice. John 7, 37 says, In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And now we get into chapter 8. And Jesus asserts himself to be the light of the world, hearkening all the way back to the pillar of fire that led God's people in the desert. Jesus is deliberately associating himself with these three wilderness images in three consecutive chapters, chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8. And he's doing that to establish his identity, that he is the bread of life, he is the water of life, and he is the light of life. All of these things point to him. Now consider the Feast of the Tabernacles again, because it's important for us to be able to understand this so we can grasp the impact of what Jesus is saying here. If you recall, I told you before how that God inaugurated this annual feast to help the Israelites remember that for 40 years they wandered in the wilderness. There were three uh, uh, main feasts that all the males, Jewish males, had to attend. And they were all different. 
from each other. But the Feast of Tabernacles was particular in that it was meant to help the Israelites remember that they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years before they were brought into the Promised Land. Leviticus chapter 23 is, is the context of it all. There are two distinctive things about this celebration, though, that made it different from other annual feasts. For seven days, the entire nation would camp out in tents or booths made of branches and foliage, and it was to remind them of their forefathers and what they endured in the wilderness. But on the, besides the, the, the ceremony and the processional of the pouring out of water... On the altar, there was another particular thing that was critical. On the opening night of the celebration of this feast, there are four gigantic candelabras that stood, what, we, what, what history tells us, were 75 feet tall. Huge, massive candelabras. At the base of those, there were branches that, that were, were, were uh that culminated in bowls that were filled with oil, and they could hold probably up to 10 gallons of oil. And the, and the idea was that when these things were lit, they would continually run, but the flame would be huge. It would just completely light up the sky. There were four of these in the temple, and it would not only light up the temple, but it would light up a lot of Jerusalem. There are reports of, for miles and miles away or around, people would understand and know what was going on in Jerusalem because of those lights. This happened on the opening night. These flames would leap toward the sky. And throughout the week, the light burned brightly as the religious leaders praised the Lord and they sang their songs of joy while the people watched and waited. Musicians would play harps and cymbals and trumpets. The festival was going on and it was to remind the Israelites of the glory of God dwelling among them and how God's Shekinah glory and brightness had once filled the temple. That was the purpose of it. The celebration also focused on this, the promise of God to send a light, the anointed one, the Messiah, who would deliver from darkness and despair. Sacrifices were offered, and scriptures like Isaiah 9-2 were read. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of shadows of death, upon them hath the light shined. It was, it was an exquisite imagery, and that celebration would then culminate on the final day, the great day of the feast. That is the context here in which we are reading. All of this had taken place. But what's amazing about the timing of Jesus is that as this celebration is wrapping up, all the lights are extinguished. And the reason that all the lights are put out is because in their minds, God has not yet sent the Savior the temple is grown dark. The tents are all torn down. And it is in that context that Jesus stands up. And the Bible tells us that he, he spoke these things in the treasury, which, by the way, was in the court of women, which was right where one of these giant candelabras was. And with that imagery in mind, Jesus stands up next to it, and he says, I am the light of the world. 
He declares himself to be the Messiah. He declares himself to be God. Now, I tried to paint that picture for you, and I hope that you grabbed it. And we kind of started broadly so that we could narrow it in and understand the meaning of this. So I want you to keep in mind the properties of light that they reveal. That light gives life. That light gives direction. And so on. And I want you to keep in mind the scriptural survey of light that we did. I want you to keep in mind the context in which Jesus is saying and the background of the Feast of the Tabernacles. Keep all of that in mind as we apply this verse to our lives today. Okay? And there are some truths that come to light, pun intended, out of this scripture. Again, look at verse 12. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Jesus makes an astounding claim here. I am the light of the world. The claims that Jesus makes always demand a response. And that's where it applies to you and to me today. I want you to note some remarkable things about this claim. First of all, again, Jesus' claim to be the light of the world is a claim to be God himself. In the Old Testament, the Jews recognized the pillar and the cloud as the Lord. In Exodus 13 and verse 21, the Bible says the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them in the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. They understood that it was the Lord who was leading them. In Exodus 14 and verse 24, the Bible says, And it came to pass that in the morning watch, the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians. The nation of Israel understood the pillar of fire to be the Lord. When Jesus is equating himself with that pillar of fire, they understood what he is saying. He's making a claim to be God himself. Furthermore, light is often used as a metaphor for God in the word of God. Psalm 27.1 talks about the Lord is my light and my salvation. In a prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2, again, we talked about this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light and it shines unto them. Isaiah 42 tells us that the Lord, His servant, the Messiah, was appointed to be a light to the nations or the world. Again, Jesus' claim to be the light of the world is the claim to be God in human flesh. That's why they were so upset. That's why it riled them up so much, because they knew what he was saying. But here's another truth. Jesus' claim to be the light of the world means that he reveals the truth about God to us. Light reveals. Look in verse 14 of our text. Verse 13, The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself, thy record is not true. 
Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. For I know whence I came, and whither I go. But ye cannot tell whence I come, and whither I go. Jesus states here in verse 14 that He has come from the Father, from God, and He's returning to the Father. <coughs> and as He will further reveal later on in John, in John 10 and verse 30, that I and my Father are one. In John chapter 14, He says, If you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. In John chapter 1 and verse 18, the Bible tells us here, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared or revealed Him. Jesus' claim to be the light of the world means that He reveals the truth about God to us. The truth is this, that God is invisible, that He dwells in unapproachable light, that no man can see, no man can approach. The only way that we can know God is through the Son. He reveals the truth about God to us, and we can only know the Father through the Son. Read Luke chapter 10, and verse 22. But here's another truth. Jesus' claim to be the light of the world means that He reveals the truth about us to us. Does that make sense? We can't see and know what we really are without the light. It reveals the truth. He reveals the truth about us to us. You remember back in John chapter 2? Go back over there. John chapter 2. Remember when we covered these verses, verse 24. The Bible says Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. He knew the motives of these people's heart and he didn't commit himself to them. Jesus knew all men. He knew what was in them. And the fact is, friend, Apart from Jesus Christ, we don't even know ourselves. Jeremiah 17, 9 says that our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We don't even know how desperately wicked we are. The fallen human heart is so deceptive and desperately wicked. And listen, when we don't know God, we call evil good and good evil. We substitute Darkness for light and light for darkness. We become wise in our own conceits and we become fools. And Jesus says here, <coughs> excuse me, that if we do not follow him, we walk in darkness. That's what our text says. John 8, 12. I'm the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. What's the implication? If we're not following Christ, we're walking in darkness. And we cannot see what we really are. We're walking in darkness. We deceive ourselves. We think we know where we're going in life. We think we know what we're doing. 
We think we've got a plan. We think we see the way clear. But in reality, we deceive ourselves and we end up ruining life and even the lives of others around us apart from Jesus Christ. Jesus also implies here that the truth that other scriptures plainly state, that apart from Jesus Christ, we're dead. We're dead in our sins. He says, those who follow me shall not walk in darkness, but they shall have the light of life. Light gives life. Apart from Jesus Christ, there is no life. Ephesians 2, 1 says, You hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Jesus states it positively. He says, if we follow him, we're going to have the light of life. That means the light imparts life to us. And here's the application. Listen, friend, when you're spiritually dead, you need God's resurrecting power to impart new life to your soul. That's what you need. You know what? Self-help books and exhortations on how to improve your morals, those are of no use to a corpse. What we need is life imparted to us. And Jesus promises, if you'll follow me, you'll not walk in darkness anymore, but you'll have the light of life. Apart from him, you're in spiritual darkness. And so Jesus makes this astounding claim that I'm the light of the world and the one who follows me is not going to walk in darkness but have life. And here's really where it all comes to a head here. Because we can talk about the claim and we can understand that, but the claim of Jesus Christ inherently demands a response. A response what is the right response? Well, according to our text, the right response is to follow Him as the light of the world. He makes the claim, I am the light of the world, but then He says, He that followeth Me shall not walk in darkness. What's the right response? The right response is to follow Him. So first we need to understand what it means to follow Jesus then in this context. To follow Jesus means to trust Him as Savior, but then obey Him as Lord. You know what? You don't follow somebody that you don't trust. Do you? You don't follow somebody that you don't trust. You know, let's say we're out in the bush of Alaska. We've never been there before. To this particular place, and you're dropped off there, and there's trails that go this way and trails that go that way and trails that go everywhere. And I say to you, hey, follow me. I know the way out of here. But you've never been here before. And in fact, I know you to be directionally challenged. I don't trust you to lead me out of here to safety. You're not going to follow me. But then on the other hand, you can say, okay, I'll follow you. But as we start down this trail, you start wandering off over here. And you can say, I'm following you. But because you're wandering over here, it proves that you're not really following. True? Right? How often do we do that with the Lord? Oh, I'm following Christ. Oh, I'm following the Lord. I love the Lord. But I'm living my life over here doing all of these things and, and, and all of the stuff that's for my own sake, not really following Christ. 
If I were, I would be obeying him as Lord. Amen? You're not going to follow somebody that you don't trust. And if you truly trust him, then you'll follow him. To follow means to trust and obey. And so the question is, do you trust Jesus? Do you obey him? First of all, do you trust that he died for your sin and was raised from the dead? Do you trust his promise to come again in power and glory to judge the living and the dead? But here's really the critical question then. Does your trust translate into obedience to his commands? When you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and you obey Him as Lord of your life, and there's all kinds of benefits that you receive. We don't have the time to talk about all of these. But when you trust the Lord and you follow Christ as the light, you've got the promise of His presence. You've got the promise of His protection. You've got the promise of His guidance. All of those were things that the nation of Israel experienced with the pillar of fire that was leading them. The presence of the Lord, the protection of God, His guidance leading them. That's what they received in the wilderness from the pillar of fire. And you know, there are all kinds of benefits that you and I, as children of God, receive from truly following Christ. And and if we listed all those benefits, we could be here all day long and all week long. And it would be wonderful for us to just end the message here and and go our way just basking in the goodness of God to those who follow Jesus Christ as the light. But our text, in fact, the major part of it actually shows that the right response following Christ is not the only option that there is. Go back to John 8 and look at verse 13. So Jesus says, standing here in the temple teaching with this great visual illustration next to him, he says, I'm the light of the world. You follow after me, you're not going to walk in darkness, but you're going to have the light of life. But note this response. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself, and thy record is not true. Jesus goes on and says here, You judge after the flesh. And he says, my judgment is true, for I'm not alone, in verse 16, but I and the Father that sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. Then said they unto him, where is thy father? Jesus answered, you neither know me nor my father. If ye had known me, ye should have known my father also. Here we find the wrong response to Jesus Christ, and the wrong response is to reject him. To reject him. The Pharisees came back to Jesus with his astounding claim, and they said, Your record's not true. You're just you're bearing witness of yourself. That's not to be believed. But you know what? What were they doing? They were ignoring what they knew about Jesus. They were ignoring the miracles that he had performed, that they had seen with their own eyes. 
They were ignoring the powerful uh, effect that miracles have that only God could do. They were ignoring his teaching that he taught like no other man because he wasn't man. He was God. They were ignoring the witness of many others. They were ignoring the Old Testament prophets and their prophecies that pointed directly to Jesus Christ that he fulfilled. If they were such good students of the law, how could they not see that he just fulfilled what was written right here? They ignored all of those things. The fact is that they understood what was written about the Messiah in the Old Testament. They did not want to admit that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of it. And so they come up with some flimsy reason to reject Jesus Christ. They say, well, your witness isn't true. And Jesus says, well, it's written in your law that the witness of two men makes it true. I'm one, and the Father is as well. They come up with some superficial reason for rejecting Jesus Christ because the law stipulated that it, for it to be valid in court, it had to be backed up by two or three witnesses. Now, we don't have the time to dig into all of that. But it was a flimsy, pathetic excuse is what they were coming up with. And here's the point that I'm trying to make. When people reject Jesus Christ and they don't want to follow Jesus Christ, they're going to come up with all sorts of flimsy, superficial reasons for rejecting Him. But the root reason, the real reason that people reject the Lord is because they're in spiritual darkness and they love it because their deeds are evil. Remember what we read and taught on in John chapter 3 and verse 19, that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Those who don't want to follow Christ are living in spiritual and moral darkness, and the root reason that people reject the Lord is because they love their sin. Bottom line. If you're here today and you're not saved and you've heard the gospel, the reason you're not saved is because you love your darkness. You love your sin. But it's the very thing that's going to cause you to lose your soul. People don't want the light to expose their evil deeds and their wickedness. So Jesus makes this astounding claim. I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. This claim, draw the line. And it asks this question. Which side are you on? With the Pharisees who reject Jesus for some flimsy reason because they don't want the light in their life? Or will you follow him? by trusting Him as your Savior, obeying Him as your Lord. Either Jesus Christ was a religious crackpot, or He is who He claimed to be. There's plenty of evidence that His witness is true, which means that you should follow Him. Amen? Let me just give you one last 
thought and application to this. Because you might be here and you might be saved. You're following the Lord. You love the Lord. But the Bible says that we who know Christ are to shine as lights in the world. Amen? Matthew 5.14, Philippians 2.15, Ephesians 5.8. We could go on and on. But only Christ is the true light. We are just to reflect Jesus Christ. He's like the sun. We're like the moon. He's the source of light. We, listen, here's the truth. We only shine as we accurately reflect His image. As people see Christ reflected in us, we can then point them to Him. Are you accurately reflecting Jesus Christ? How's your life and your testimony? How's your walk with the Lord? Are you shining as a light in this world? I am the light of the world. Follow me. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, use your word here. In these moments, Lord, I pray for those who are not saved, Lord, that they would surrender and follow Christ to leave their sin, their life of sin, and finally yield to you. The claim of Jesus Christ demands a response. It still demands a response today. And Lord, may we not take this lightly this morning and see the weightiness of it. But it demands a response, and there's only two, either to follow or to reject. And those Pharisees who rejected Jesus, Jesus said to them more than one time, you're going to die in your sins. He was very blunt with them. You're going to die in your sins. And the reason they would is because they rejected the light. Father, I pray this morning for the one that's not saved. They would hear those words, you're going to die in your sins. And what does that mean? It means to experience the judgment of God, the wrath of God for all eternity on their soul. May they come to the light. And Father, for children of God, that we would accurately reflect Jesus Christ, that we could shine as lights in this world. There are people who need to see the light. And may we carry the gospel light, that it may shine in unto them. In Jesus' name, amen.